0: We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today on Horse Chats is Michelle Kelly. How are you today, Shelley?
1: I'm very well, Glenis. Thank you so much for having me back on the horse chat. I find it so interesting and informative to be listening to all my fellow equestrians <laughs> and their stories.
0: All right, well, lovely to have you back, Shelley, and we talked to you before in Episode 52, and the listeners obviously liked you because they had you back on one of our listeners' choice episodes. You know, we only use the most listens to episodes for that, so you must be pretty popular yourself.
1: Oh, that's very nice <laughs> to know. Thank you.
0: Now, Shelley, the 10 tips for improving competition results. Why did you choose that subject? You know, I mean, you've had some great competition, your results yourself. And if people would like to know a bit more about her background, go and have a listen, Michelle Kelly, episode 52, or just go to horsechats.com. And I think you can search for Michelle, search for Shelley, or search for Kelly, and you'll find those details. But tell us about the competition results. We know your competition performance results are excellent, but the actual subject?
1: I think probably from a um, coach's point of view and from a previous competition competitor, Mm -hmm. uh, I find uh, the whole goal, the whole end result is improving the competition results. I think years ago, probably the little bit of difference with us older competitors was the competition, it was about business. It was about making the horse's, Um, the prize money was paramount. It was keeping the horses sound and well to perform over a very long season. You know, we did 48 shows in a year. Um, We had to, the horses had to earn money to keep going. So therefore the competition result and the management of those horses was paramount. So improving the competition results was really the end goal of everybody.
0: Yep. Okay, okay, I can see the importance there. Now, the first tip you've got is the management plan. So tell us about the management plan.
1: I think initially um, I always say even today to my clients is the riding is the easy part. The actual going and getting on the horse and going around the show jump course is the easy part. The very difficult part is the management plan of the whole horse and rider or Uh, whatever your sort of long-term goals are, keeping them sound, keeping them well, keeping yourself sound, keeping them well. Um, So having a management plan is absolutely paramount for improving competition results. It's a very big uh, document as such. It's a very big um, enterprise for you to embark on. I think that's where coaches probably need to uh, assist riders to do that having a management plan is for everything, really, but particularly for keeping uh, athletes performing is mm-hmm. vital.
0: Yep, yep. And I think we're going to talk now on our other points is to go into depth within that management plan, which is great because you've just said how vital it is, but we can talk in depth about some of these things that go into the management plan as well. I think the first one you've got is your training and exercise program.
1: Yes, I think, you know, uh, putting together with your coach, but I think uh, to actually achieve the end goal, you have to have an exercise program for horse and rider from the beginning. What we find is with athletes, we actually break down all the required tasks that we need um, and even bring it down to like a physiological analysis of what those tasks happen to be. Now, the task might be just, you know, a show jumping competition that you need to be jumping metre 30, metre 40, something like that. Then you come down to like a physiological analysis like, okay, we need to make sure that we, you know, things like take off landing, turning, jumping large, obstacles, travelling on different surfaces um, and right back to sort of muscle, bone, um ligament um programs we then break it down even further and do like weekly monthly and long term so what are we going to do you know like general fitness aerobic muscular endurance power agility all the same things that you would do for an athlete um and what are you know, like environment training, like atmosphere, night days, surfaces, different weather, which we used to come across all the time. And I find these days that because they're not competing as much as what we did years ago, they don't have um, they do the advantage of sort of for instance, riding in the rain all the time, not because there's any rain lately anyway. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but, you know, we at least competing for that amount of time You know, we did get a lot of jumping out of mud, jumping, um, you know, hard ground. So just those aims and objectives and then breaking it down to, you know, weekly, weekly, monthly, yearly, depending on what the long-term goals are. So it's quite an involved plan that you put together with all your coaches and your support people.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah, and it would be like you've got the training, just even the different courses, the different surfaces, everything else. It would be a different plan for each horse, wouldn't it? You know, even if the same horses are similar, competing similar competitions, you've still got to have an individual for each horse.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, our aims are to maintain the recovery, bones, joints, ligaments, increase the aerobic and muscular endurance, rideability, jumping skills, etc. But but... Um, each horse would definitely have their own plan and and possibly each horse would have their, you know, training plan. Like an example, you know, Monday might be general fitness um, or it might be a day off if it's a Sunday comp. You might have flat work training incorporating some poles and jump recovery maybe Tuesday, Wednesday. You might do some, you know, long, slow distance interval training. You might do, I used to call it jump gym. Yes. where they're actually doing agility and then you might do some active recovery. It might be a swim or it might be just going for a general ride or a day in the paddock depending on, you know, circumstances and horses. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Now, coming on to point number three here, which is important dates. Now, you said you had 48 competitions a year. So tell us about what sort of full yearly calendar you would have. What would you do? Look at the shows at the beginning of the year and then go from there or – Tell us a bit more about yeah. this full yearly calendar.
1: Well, yes, what we would do is we'd actually get a calendar, you know, January yep. through to December, and go, all right, now let's fill it in. So normally in, in our mind, it, it seemed a bit silly, but our, in our mind our season started um, August, uh, say we said Brisbane Royal, for instance, or mm-hmm. or the run up Queensland. So the horses would get possibly um late june um june June normally off and then july they'd sort of come back in and we'd go to queensland in august which is what they do a little bit now they head to um you know to the warmer country (laughs) yes queensland in in our winter i'm based in sydney Mm -hmm. so then we would go up there and the Possibly the main event would be, um, at that stage, it was Brisbane Royal. The Yekha was very popular then. Yep. And then we'd manage the horses to the ones that, you know, we wanted to maybe win the Grand Prix there. All their classes um, would be managed to set that particular horse for that particular event. So there would be, you know, and there would be a a warm-up show, say, where you mightn't say, okay, you know, I don't want that horse to necessarily win at that show, but I'd like him to, you know, get all the skills that he needs to win at the next show because that might have more money or, you know, that's the show that you want to win. It was very prize money driven in those days because that was the only way we could all keep going. Not too many people sold their horses. Um, So, you know, it it was very important if if we burnt them out or overdid them or injured them, you know, there was not going to be any prize money. So it was mm-hmm. very, very important, you know, we managed that. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you then come back. There was a, a lovely um, August run. Um, there'd be some things in, like, um, September. You might go to Adelaide and Melbourne. Um, there was a lovely August run where um, sort of, like, Western New South Wales, You'd come back and then you'd have, um, you, you might do Melbourne Roll, you might do a couple of shows. It was a lovely run November, December in Sale, um, um down at uh, Shepparton, down in Victoria. So yep. you'd go down there for a couple of weeks then you'd come back and finish with some shows in Sydney um, in sort of December and you'd have then the runner, all the... Agricultural shows and the good shows through till Sydney Oil in Sydney.
0: Okay, and that was what Easter. Yes, yep.
1: yes. So, so your your main your you know your main show then all that January February would be building up to then be competing at the um, Sydney Show, Royal Easter Show. Yes, um, that was a really big one. We had a, a brilliant show. at went to park. Um, many years ago we all very much planned, we had a management plan that each one of us wanted to win there no matter what. Um, so that was in January. That was a very big show to organise ourselves for. Um, so, yes, yeah, we, we sit down and we, we virtually knock out the year's plan, mm, um, yeah. maybe other competitions, with, you know, if there was any, training or clinics, not that we really had time. We learnt on the job in those days.
0: So it sounds like you worked out your big competitions and then you worked out your smaller competitions leading up to the big competitions, yep. but you also worked out your schooling competitions where you want to give the horse a run in the lead up to the smaller competitions that then would lead up to the bigger competitions.
1: Exactly. And yep. and we would use, I mean, in those days there was classes like speed classes You know, there was top scores, rescue relays, that sort of thing. The rescue relays might have been a little bit smaller in height. The top scores and accumulators would be quite big in height. We had six bars and two saunces if we wanted to give some of our horses a bit of a look at some bigger fences, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, put them in those classes or you'd put them in a six bar to give them that agility run or you'd put them in a six bar because it was worth a lot of money and and you actually needed the money.
2: Yes, Um, yes it was the bigger compet, you know the the main horses for um for the main big competitions you then
1: recover and nurse and and the other ones you know the younger ones coming through you you pick as many suitable classes for them to be able to um you know get them to the goal whatever they were going to do
0: Shelley, how many horses did you have in the team, and that because it was just you and your your husband riding, or who who? How many riders? How many horses within your team?
1: Um, there was my husband John and myself, mm-hmm. and we had up to nine
2: horses. Yep.
1: Um, we had a like a ten horse truck, and then we had a semi. But the the minimum horses, which is when when we started not to travel quite so much. The minimum amount of horses that we would take away would be six, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't. We, we actually travelled quite a bit with actually nine
2: horses. Yes. Okay. So, okay. So
1: the the management was a really big, and and it would be very organised. We would know every day, um, pretty much what the goal was for that particular horse at that particular show, mm-hmm. and again very much around prize money. Everyone would sit down. A couple of the riders were brilliant at sitting down and knowing exactly how much money was to be won at that particular <laughs> show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Obviously spend a bit of time going over the figures. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
2: yeah.
1: we had to always come out um, that we'd pay, um, you know, costs and entries. Yes. And we had to have money in our pockets to go on to the next show.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about taking us on to point number four now? You've got support and professional information. Tell us a bit how this plays into your management plan. And I'm also interested that even though you might have your local professionals, what happens when you're travelling and you need a professional? So if you can talk about that.
1: Well, I think it's very important to have, like it's it's a whole team, you know, it takes a village to make a, you know, like anything. Um, So you need. Team around you. I mean, we were incredibly lucky living in Camden. Uh, Professor Hutchins, who was the top vet at the University of Sydney at that time, was our vet. Um, he would advise us um, on a lot of, um, you know, management plan um, for the horses. We had our, you know, our vets, our barriers, our feed, um, you know, our feed personnel. Um, but then when we travelled away, we often would have people in different areas that we might rely on and ring them and say, you know, would we be able to organise them feed? you got to know, like, feed merchants. you got to know vets. you got to know even people, fellow competitors that might be skilled in another way. You know, there might be somebody travelling that might have been a dentist or a chiropractor. Um, you know, there was chiropractors you know, people that did that sort of stuff that travelled as well, that they would, you know, you, you'd get them sort of checking the horses while they're out there. Um, mechanics were a very important part of the support and professional information. So there was a very big networking. It was almost like every area, whether it be, you know, Queensland, Melbourne, um, out you know, um, Outback, um, New South Wales, Victoria, you would make sure that you had numbers of somebody that would be able to help from a, you know, a, a vet, a farrier um, point of view. You would also, more now than before, you know, you would have people that would be able to help you. Part of the plan was to keep yourself going as well. I mean, if you were injured or you were sore or you were sick or something like that, and you couldn't ride very well, you weren't going to be of any value to the team whatsoever. So I think we we had a list of, of in those days, before mobile phones, of course, I'm very old, (laughs) um, we had a list of phone numbers and and a very large networking. I think even now we could almost ring any place on the eastern seaboard and know somebody that you know, could give us the, the vet, the farrier, the mechanic, the doctor, the physio, the, you know, mm, something, mm, <laughs> somebody mm. So it's very um, net, networking and, and keeping that support personnel was very important. And now I must admit that none of the clients that I coach, they are all, we're incredibly lucky, um, to have like Robin Bell, who's our um, Olympic team vet now. He, very luckily, is um, the head vet at the University of Sydney now and he's he's a performance vet and he keeps um, a lot of horses. Um, You know, he's a wonderful physiological um, rehab vet for performance horses. So, you know, I virtually don't coach anybody that doesn't realise the importance of nutrition, and training, and you know, regular vet um, supports personnel to manage their horses, barriers, um, etc. So,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: yep,
1: vitally important yep. network.
0: Yeah, and I like the way you call. You know, it's the team, isn't it? You know, it's the whole team. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. I, I just, and I mean, I don't have those skills. So we we certainly used to. Um, you know, Professor Dave Hutchins and Stephen McClintock looked after our horses all the time. And every time we left to go somewhere, I would make sure that they would give me the suitable veterinary, whatever, you know, veterinary products mm-hmm. they felt that to take with us on a long. Um, and also, you know, what what we should do if, you know, we did get an injury. And sometimes we'd go and actually watch them do some stuff just in case. I mean, John and I did have to, when a horse cut itself in a whoop-whoop situation, um, we actually, between us both, had to um, just do some general stitching. I don't know whether that should be public but we did that. But we did, and we, you know, we did an okay job. And, you know, prop said, here's the gear. This is what you do if this happens. It wasn't huge, and it wasn't life-threatening. Yeah, um, but we did end up, you know, doing things like that um, when we had to because you know you might have been in the middle of Queensland somewhere and you had to do it anyway. Mm,
0: mm, mm. All right, that just takes us on to point number five. Is throughout this, you've talked about different pressures, right? So you've talked about it always being about the money. About you've talked about competition pressure and injuries, but. It's not just the pressure, it's the strategies to deal with them. And this is the point number five, is using the strategies to deal with the pressure. So tell us a bit about that and what sort of strategies you use, because I think this is a big lesson to learn from different people who are under a little bit of pressure and can't deal with it. But you must have been under enormous pressure you know, while you were doing that. So yeah, if you can tell us about that.
1: Yes, we were, you know, there, there, there was a lot of pressure and there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, I think, I mean, even now I say that in the very beginning you should write down your source of pressure that are going to sabotage your competition results. Now, that might even be, you know, I'm very fearful of falling off and hurting myself. So it's like, all right, well, we need to put a strategy in place to work through that because that's absolutely going to sabotage you. But also um, things, just basic things like finances, do I have enough money, you know, to be able to travel to such and such? What if I go to the show and don't earn anything? What am I going to do if I'm stranded, whatever? So I need a strategy to put in place that, you know, there's at least some money get home. We were coming back to Melbourne one time and it was like, oh, we didn't have such a good show. And John, John said, I don't know whether we've got enough fuel or
2: oh, not no. enough
1: <laughs> Yeah. It's we whether we've got enough funds to even put the fuel in the top to get home. We better call into this show and hope that we earn some money. Mm-hmm. So I remember we went from Melbourne to Wagga, called into Wagga. Luckily, we actually won quite a lot of money, which was wonderful, and got ourselves home. But we actually did get ourselves in a situation, you know, nine horses, a truck and a big caravan and everything we used to travel with in those days yeah. so it was like, okay, this is a bit of pressure so how are we going how are we sort of going to deal with that and I think in the end we had two things that were in our control things that were out of our control
2: okay. and we didn't
1: ever want to ring parents and go, could you put some money <laughs> in the bank because they were going we "Could you really be travelling all over the countryside mm. um, so we actually wanted to say, well, you know, we can't do this ourselves. No, we're going to do it ourselves. But a lot of people think like like finance um, distance, you know, that they live a long way away. And I even had somebody that said, okay, my biggest source of pressure is my mother's always really late getting me to the show. I went, oh, okay, I think we can, we can deal with that. Or... I'm fine when I'm a jump club, but I'm really nervous when it's a competition day, or I'm fine unless they call it a Grand Prix or I'm you know or I'm fine um, unless I get on that horse or there, there's there's a lot of I say you write down like like you you, you get up and you sit down and you go okay, what what is my main source of pressure from the moment I get up to the moment I go to sleep? um, What will be the things that are going to worry you the most? And then I say, the more that you worry, the more energy the brain can use to worry about that anyway. Is that something you control or is it not, you know, that person rides better than me or that horse is better than me? And it's like, well, that's a total waste of time to be thinking about that because there's always going to be someone that's better than you and there's always going to be a horse that's better than yours. So let's just let that one go. But your pre-nerve pressure before you go into the class, if you're getting very anxious, let's work on changing the anxiety that's going to sabotage your performance to use that stress to actually up your performance. And I think that's one of the big things that I learned. Being a bit of a perfectionist, it was like, oh, no, that was not good enough, so I'd stress myself about that's not good enough. I and mean, then in the end, it's like I changed it to the more pressure I was under, the better I performed. Mm-hmm. So I think having having a few people, John, and his father was amazing at just keeping things you know, calm and you can do it and, you know, off you go sort of thing, um, believing in me, that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, I've had a couple of clients recently that sort of didn't perform in certain situations. And I'm like, hang on, you're a very, very talented rider. You know, you've got a good horse. Um, you're letting something. Oh, no, I'm not. And I'm going, I think you are. Let's just have a little chat about that. You know, they go out and perform brilliant. you know, those sort of things.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And it's something that we've talked about before on the show. It's a big deal. You know, it's a really big deal that people can be very good, have lots of talent, have a talented horse and then and do well in small competitions or at home and then get to a big one, which is not out of their depth. It's quite within their scope of what they can do, but all of a sudden they can't perform. So, so that whole mindset, it, it really is a big deal, isn't it?
1: Exactly, and I think giving them strategies to sort of deal with that, but also just, you know, I always say, if you're confident in your skills and you're confident, you know, and your horse can, can do it, then go go and enjoy it. Stop sabotaging your performance by worrying about something that probably won't happen anyway. And then I say, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you go out, you fall off, Okay. That's, that's, that's something that you've got to realise that can happen. You go out and you stop out at the first fence and you think the whole state is laughing at you. They're not. They're more or less going, how brave are they to go out and do it anyway? Mm. But also, feel, feel that. Because I say, you know, it will happen. It's happened to us all. Yep. It's happened to us all. We've got, you know, done everything and then we go out and fall off or stop out or, you know, hurt ourselves or something. Um, and then, you know, you've got to sort of feel it, deal with it, and on you go. You, use it to your benefit. Use all those things. I say picking ourselves. How do we learn? Picking ourselves up off the mm. ground.
2: <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah.
1: okay. Maybe that was but, <laughs> but we're not worried about the fact that we've actually fallen off. It's like, oh, my God, we've fallen off. It's like, yes, you've fallen off, I again. Yep. Um, so it's not... It's, you know, it's not the big deal
0: you think it is. Yes, yes. <laughs>
1: probably
0: being a bit harsh there. No, no, that's good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All the time, right through these 10 tips, we're up, we've done five and we're about to start number six. You've had an absolute passion for this lifestyle, you know, and it is a lifestyle. I I haven't done it to the level that you've done it, but I've been there. I've been on the road and and the camaraderie between the other competitors, who are your competitors? They're looking for prize money as well. But there's still a lot of friendship between all the competitors and it's a lifestyle. But this one now, point number six, is the life balance strategy because You've still got a family. You've still got other things that, you know, coming back to real life, I suppose. You've sort of got one lifestyle, but coming back to real life and balancing your life. What have you got to say about that, about the life balance strategies?
1: Well, I think one of the things that we found really hard, because we actually decided that,
0: you know, this is what
1: we wanted to do and we traveled so much, we actually missed out on a lot of, you know, family um you know, weddings or friends, whatever, they were, you know, they kept us in the loop, but a lot of times, oh, sorry, we're in Queensland, oh, sorry, we're in Melbourne, oh, sorry, Mm -hmm. we're we're wherever.
2: Yep.
1: But I think looking back now and particularly the fact that we're old and we're actually now retired from competition, um, one of the things that I'm probably passionate about is life after competition and also if you're injured, like, and it's happened to us all, you know, I remember I broke my leg, so I was out of competition for a while. Um, things like what are you going – what other life balances are you going to do um, to actually um, keep that life balance? And also um, if if the only thing you do is just compete, show jumping and that's it, if you have a bad result or your competition results aren't what you want – then you're going to dwell on that. You're going to sabotage. You're going to be very, very upset in your life because that's not going well. So if you have something else in life or you have a life balance strategy or you can come back and do something else, then it's not going to be the humongous sort of deal that you think that it may be. Mm. I think, too, being on now I'm a great one at my poor younger clients. I've insisted that they've all gone off and done sort of some sort of study. We see it a lot with um, athletes that have not done any study or any other um, occupation of any sort. That when things don't go well in the sport, you've got to have something else that will keep you happy, physically, mentally, emotionally. Spiritually, the whole lot to keep yeah. you actually going when that particular physical athleticism is not there. Mm, so, mm. I, you know, my poor ones, I've sent them off to university in Cape for goodness knows what, and absolutely insisted I won't teach anybody if they're a young person that isn't doing some sort of further study. Yes. Um, yeah. I think it's so important, you know. Like Things
0: like relaxation, that sort of stuff as well. So look, I have to absolutely totally agree. And I think myself as a competitor, I've always wanted to study, and I think that's why I've started the registered training organization on Lone Horse College, because um life as an athlete, even though equine athletes last a lot longer, but it's limited. And if you want to stay within the profession of horses, There's so many different other ways and different other paths that you can go down. Still even having the horses as a background, I think it's just really widening up now that you can use other skills to complement your horse knowledge, other study to complement, or you can just go on to horse-related study. There's just so much there and so many opportunities. And I think that if you're not going on and doing that ongoing study and learning, that's where you get left behind and you're just uh, someone who's learnt to ride a horse but they can't ride anymore physically and you, you don't have any other skills.
1: No, no. And, yeah. I mean, we're, we're incredibly with what you've started, you know, with horse chats and, and um, you know, all the horse-related sort of learning and study is, is amazing and that's, that's really probably what sent me on that path. I decided I wanted to be a, a little bit better coach knowing a little bit more about related fitness and all that sort of mm, stuff mm. and I did a fitness diploma tape, and then went on to university and then did a up and, and yep. still and now an ex-biologist. So, uh, you know, I was incredibly lucky that, you know, a door opened and I was retiring basically. And
0: but you've still got to step through the door, haven't you? You know, you might say a door opened, but you saw the open door and you stepped through it and then you can use something to complement what you were doing. Yeah.
1: I think as coaches, it's, it's um, something that we need to be very aware of mm. in that particularly us older ones is, well, hang on, you can't ride forever
0: yep. and yep. you
1: can't necessarily just be a coach forever either. Mm. So, you know, you need that.
0: And not only that, it's not just that we can't do it forever, but there's different, you know, like the working with horses is changing and evolving and everything. As well you know we need more skills it's not just saying right well i've got it now I'm, this is what i've got this qualification i'll sit on it for the rest of my life it's keep going and keep following the pathway oh, that fits you the best
1: absolutely and the continual learning and everything is, is amazing i mean that yeah. gives you a lovely life
0: yes so just taking us back to point number six you've said about the life balance strategies for study and relaxation so what are you saying that just take some time off that or how do people do it? If that's what they're passionate about, is you know following, but it's it's more the point of making sure that you've got some study and a little bit more of a broader aspect when you've finished your life after competitions.
1: Yes, I think mm. I think that again is you know what what are you what are you going to do after your um, you know after your competition years um, and some people. You know, it's like, well, you know, I like such and such. Well, maybe sort of look to you know, have some sort of plan because I think that takes the pressure yep. off you too. Oh so, yes. well, you know, I've got that. I've got that sorted. Um, which probably brings me a little bit into the next point: the injuries to horse and rider.
0: Okay, this is point number seven: injuries to horse and rider. Yep.
1: Yeah. So. It it probably brings me a little bit into that one as well, likely injuries and strategies to deal with this. So, I mean, over the years with nine horses, you know, there would be different, you know, injuries and, you know, ligaments and tendons or, you know, sickness or collar, whatever, Mm. Um, over the years. So, you know, obviously you've got to have strategies to deal with that. And, of course, you know, we fall off and, of course, we – you know, have injuries to ourselves as well. So that's where it sort of links a little bit through this life balance strategy as well. Okay, I'm injured, so there's going to be some time off. What am I going to do now? Um, you know, what can I do depending on the injury of the horse as well? So the horse, you know, okay, it's got to have six weeks off or six months off or whatever. So um, what am I going to do through that time, what others can I do? Can I put something in place or, you know, can I just continue on and, you know, be the groom or, you know, the person that's holding the horses or whatever? But I think you still have to have that love balance. I'm probably very lucky in the fact my girlfriends from school are all very arty, mm-hmm. um, interior designers and artists and musicians, and which I'm not good at <laughs> at all. But I was dragged around, which is just beautiful and still am, which I love them so much. Um, so you know, whenever I was at home, there was the invitation to you know, let's go to an art gallery, let's go to a you know an orchestra. one of my girlfriends is in an orchestra. Um, and you know, let's go and look at all these sculptures, whatever. So my whole riding life. I was very lucky that they were able to keep me in the loop of, you know, if you're in Sydney, we're going to go to this exhibition, blah, blah. So my whole writing life, I was very lucky to be sort of taken to all this, um, which I knew nothing about, obviously, um, but had the most amazing life balance with these beautiful girls taking yep. me to office, galleries, et cetera, which I, when I look back now, I'm eternally grateful for that life balance that they actually gave me and now um, my great love is skiing and I go skiing in Japan every January with another another group of friends and look forward to that. So I, I'm, I'm very still involved with horses and, and love it and, you know, if I wasn't old I would be still wanting to jump. You know, I look at the Grand Prix and I go, God, if I could just grab a horse and, and go <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know,
1: yeah. very hard uh, guidelines for us oldies. It's <laughs> very hard. <laughs> but but then knowing that I have these life balances now, and so can help people through coaching and that is yep. is vital. <laughs> I, I think I you know I'm a very
0: bitter old person. That yes, if if that's all you've known and you want to and you're angry that you can't get back to it, yeah, yeah.
1: So now I'm you know.
0: The, the art gallery is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's good, isn't yeah. it? All right. Now, point number eight is the administration and the documentation. This is what, you know, what else needs to go within the management plan, administration, documentation. Just out of interest, did you always have something that you kept these in the truck with you? Did you oh, take yes. them out? You always kept them there?
1: Oh,
0: yes. We always yeah. had to have our jumping
1: cart. Yep. Now, if we didn't write up because our cards, they were just a physical card, mm, mm. and we send them in to EA or EFA it was then, and, and they were stamped. And if not, they could technically stop us at a show if we didn't present our cards. If the yes. cards weren't up to date, to get into trouble. Um, so we had we had to have a little briefcase or whatever it was. Now, if you went to get your prize money. They had to sign your card that, you know, you got first in the whatever. So, therefore, we will now hand your prize money to you because we've actually signed your card. Mm. So it was a big drama if you had lost your card, left your card, whatever, Um, and they were within their rights to stop you. if you If you weren't a member, they could check it out. If you didn't have your card and the appropriate card for the appropriate horse, they could withhold your prize money, which of course was the worst thing that happened to anyone in yes. those days.
0: Yes, especially when you needed so, money to get put in the truck to get fuel, um, yeah, yes. to go home. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, now it's you know they've got passports and all that sort of stuff. So, so it was it was incredibly important to make sure that we were up to date with our membership and we had some sort of you know probably a letter or or something in those days, um, and all our jumping cards and they were up to date. And then um, also we had, to, we had this performance book um, because all the big royals, you had to um, put in your performance. Yes. So we had, um, we had a, a file, which I, I still say to everyone you must keep this file because, number one, you've got to have the performance if you're going to go to royals, and number two, you need to analyse your results, so you need to have a look at, you need to be writing all your results every week. You know, I got four faults in this or I won this or third in this, whatever, so you're analysing the results anyway. Um, we wrote for a lot of owners, so the owners always, you know, how did you go? Well, I just opened the book because, you know, I couldn't remember from one show <laughs> half the time there was nine of them. Um and I would just have the book in front of me and go, "Oh you know we got third in this and then second in this and blah blah blah. So we kept um, a folder with all the horses' uh, performances, and then in the end, when you know it um, it, it evolved to uh, videos um, back in the days of the big video you know the VCR huge thing, cameras carried yep. out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> huge cameras. Um, we actually would video as much as we could and then come home and put um, every horse had its own VCR um, video. Yep. So number one, we'd show the owners, but number two, we would then sit down when we got home and we'd go, okay, we'd put in, you know, Jack's video and we'd watch it. So every new, every new video would go on to that. So we might have, that might be for a whole year. And we might go back and go, oh, look what he's done in that year. Or, oh, you know, he keeps doing that. Or, yeah, but you do that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, yes. so videos became very much which they are now, but I remember they were fairly new then. So we had we had um, a lot of videos and, and we'd be quite tough on ourselves and go, well, you know, you're doing that all the time. So, maybe that's why they're having four faults and you're losing $500 every show because of your foot mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> or your finger. Yep. yep.
1: So, yeah, it, it, it would be quite um, so all those, so your jumping carts, your videos, your folder of, of um, performance, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was kept in, I had a special spot, you know, in the truck or the caravan or the, you know, we had a, a semi in the end. So, there was a special cupboard that you could just easily access in a in like a briefcase.
0: Yes. Yep, yep. I think that's good. Just on your phone, isn't it? <laughs> Let's go along to number nine. We've got education. That's point number nine.
1: So education is more, you know, I, I guess, whether it's education for you, whether it's sort of workshops, whether it's, um, you know, like if, if any international, um, you know, coaches, Came over. Um, what I found too is being lucky enough to be on the Sydney 2000 national squad for a few years. Um, there was opportunities to do workshops with um, course builders, so like Leopoldo Palacios and uh, recently Vernadig. Uh, I still, I still take the opportunities to do workshops with people like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, in national riders or course builders, that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, now, of course to do updates from a coaching point of view sure. and all that sort of thing. So I think, um, you know, different clinics, I think just just to keep up your education with what you're doing.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Even
1: like George Morris used to come over, and even if you weren't, I mean, I did clinics with him, but then I'd say to different clients or myself, I'd go, well, I'm just going to go and watch.
0: Yes. So, I mean, your yes. Of, Still education and, in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. that's you know that's going to improve your competition results. Also, even just watching or looking. Now, of course, you've got all the you
2: know um, <laughs> of
1: tasks, but again, which is just yep, easy. Yep. You don't always go, and um, you know we're very grateful to you for things like that where you can actually learn by listening and not. Listen, I I
0: learn, you know, you might learn by listening, but I learn a lot too. You know, I've sort of had horses and been in the horse industry all my life, but um, there's lots of things that I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to point number 10 here. This is hobbies and holidays. You sort of briefly talked about it before, but um, I think this is to do with your plan and your calendar and, and just fitting in those hobbies and holidays.
1: Yes, I I think it's the same as, you know, like burnout, you know, you can burn out as a competitor, you can burn out as a coach, you can burn out as a teacher, you can burn out. You've got to have something, I think, to look forward to. We certainly didn't have a lot of holidays. Um, It wasn't until our children were born that I remember saying, now, we can't just start them around shows, we've got to do something. So um, we'd go and have a week at the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd um, house and we'd go, okay, you know, it's not fair for them just to be going around around horse shows. Um, so I, I think it's important for me For me now, of course, it's off to Japan skiing. So it's something to look forward to. I think you've got to have that, um, again, back to that life balance. balance. I think it? it's good. Really,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Have a break. Either, you know what? I'm not going to do a show this weekend. I'm mm-hmm. going to stay home and, you know, do the gardening or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to have something else, whether it be a hobby, whether it be a sport, whether it be you know I'm just going to go camping or or something like that. I think I think that um, you know from a, from an improving competition results, I, I think again it probably links in with the life balance.
0: Yes, but I yes. think
1: have break. Um, I mean, even if it is going, you know, different people now going over to Weg or or something like that, just to to, to step step away, because I think when you step away you're all refreshed and you look back in and think, Oh, I've got so <laughs> you know, you get insular and so sort of like every, everything's a big drama and everything I and mean, then you step out yes. and you look back in and you Why was I worried about that? Yeah, Let's have yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it's I think it's important to have that as well. And yeah. certainly once we started to do that it was much more pleasurable. Good. And Good. competition results improved.
0: And that's why you do it anyway, it's because you enjoy it. Yeah. You know, the 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 um emotional rewards, isn't it? Not the financial rewards, it's the emotional rewards. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: You've got to and you've got to you've got to love your horse. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Just, yeah. I, I think that, and all that, all that sort of puts together, like the competition results. It's not just okay. I need to learn to ride, and the horse can jump, and whatever. It's it's a big board picture. Yeah. To actually be able to to do that, yeah. and then your results improve.
0: Okay. Shelley, can we just go through and just do, you know, because just for people, if if they've missed one of these tips, if we just run through the 10 tips again, if you say a sentence or the main point or something for each of the tips, is that okay? Yes. Yep. The number one was to have a management plan. Yes,
1: I think a written management plan, horse rider details, goals long and short term.
0: Yep, good. All right, number two is the training and exercise program.
1: Yep, so again... You break down all the physiological tasks, what is actually the aims and objectives for that training program, for that particular course, and yourself. And you break that down and then work at sort of weekly, monthly, long term programs
0: okay, for well, that. Yeah, that was the, and the important dates is number three.
1: Yes, important dates is, well, you, you need to know your competition calendar. Mm-hmm. So you can also results analysis as well. You need to sort of, Work out your yearly calendar. What are the major competitions? Other competitions, clinics, family commitments. Yep. So get the calendar in um, January through to December. Fill it all in and work from there.
0: Okay. Number four is the support and professional information.
1: Well, have all. I mean, you can't do it by yourself. It's mm-hmm. not sort of sport to do it at all. so sport. But also, you've got to have a really management overview of all your support. Your vets, your faring, as you see, your mechanic, um, your personal trainers, you know, your, your exercise physiologist, physio, massage, um, Pilates instructor, as it is for me, um, your medical, your doctor, all your family numbers, your phone numbers. Um, to have a really good, strong support um, personnel around you um, will certainly take a lot of pressure and assist you in um, performing.
0: Yep, yep. All right, the number five then is the strategies to deal with the sources of pressure.
1: Yep, so it's it's, it's virtually writing down all your sources of pressure, like is it is it an emotional source of pressure, is it um, an anxiety, is it finance, is it distance, is it family or peer pressure, um, is it competition pressure, is it that you've got some injury to you and your horse. You put um, – get – Things that are in control, your control, things that are out of your control, you've got to work out. You can do something about things that are in your control. Don't worry about the things that are out of your control. That's a waste of time and that will sabotage you. Mm-hmm. So then every pressure that you can think of that might impede your competition results, you work through with your support crew, normally your family and your coach, etc., to put strategies in place to minimise that so it will not sabotage your performance.
0: Good, good. Okay, number six was the life balance strategies.
1: If all you do is just you have to perform in show jumping or horses or whatever and that's it and you have no other life balance strategy, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself anyway. So I feel that if you have something else in your life, whether it be you know, life after competition, whether it's, you know, you've had some injury, you're doing some studies some relaxation, that you've got some life balance strategy that if you do um, get some not positive competition results that your world's not going to fall apart. Yep, yep. Like just get that balance back so you've got that emotional, spiritual, physiological, physical um, dimensions of wellness that everything's covered, Mm -hmm. if you do fail in the fishing arena, it's not the end of the world.
0: Okay. All right, number seven, this links back to the life balance strategies, is injuries to horse and rider, but the strategies and plans to deal with it.
1: Yes, there there will be. It is a dangerous sport uh, and there will be, I don't know anyone that hasn't gone through the sport without injuries to oneself or injuries to the uh, horse's. So it's then number one, like dealing with the fact that that will, you know, 100% possibly happen, um, and then dealing with injury, dealing with plans and strategies to sort of um, to deal with that. Like, what's going to happen if you do, you know, hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, what are we going to do? Yep. Um, it's just, well, I'm going to put somebody else on my horse for that period of time. Um, and, and I mean that's a fairly common step. We were lucky because if I fell off and hurt myself, John rose them. If he fell off and hurt himself, I rose them. But yep. then yep. if other, um, we got somebody else, if that's the case, or the horse goes out for a spell, or depending on our injury, you know what plans are we going to do to to get us back going again?
0: Sure, sure. Okay, number eight was the administration and the documentation.
1: Yeah, just not to be caught short with, you know, not knowing the rules, not having your appropriate passports or you know, jumping cards as we had in those days, not getting to a show without, number one, knowing the rules. I mean, now it's all about, you know, if your back boots are too heavy or the wrong back boots, you know, you you can be eliminated if you've got, you know, knowing the rules and regulations. Don't, don't put extra pressure on yourself not having all the appropriate um, documentation, membership. Um, and knowledge of the rules with you. Um, that's what stewards are for. Go up and ask them. You know, I'm not quite sure about this. So, so you know, don't get in in into a situation where um, you're you're not aware of the correct documentation that you must have to compete in the sport.
0: Okay. Yep. The next one was the education.
1: Um, Just continued education for for yourself. Like go to clinics. You know, if there's an overseas competitor coming over, um, take advantage if you ever can. I find an incredibly interesting course building clinics, or even like um, you know dressage instructors. Yes. The fact that we're show jumping, then go to a um, you know go to a you know dressage clinic, go to even something, too, about now being an exercise physiologist, you you know, very good to go and actually learn about prehab sort of things, you know, get onto some really good programs that you can do yourself to prevent injury, that sort of stuff. Okay,
0: good. All right, and then the next one, number 10, was the holidays and hobbies.
1: Yes. You know, we're athletes and we're looking to improve competition results. I think sort of stepping out of that um, environment and having something to look forward to, whether it be a hobby or, um, you know, a holiday. I mean, I do know some people that are they do love painting, so they go and do, you know, an artist's retreat weekend, say Mm. this is a fellow So you've got some sort of hobbies and holidays to sort of take you out out of that environment and refresh you. I think it's – and to have something. Look forward to.
0: Yep. Um, oh, good. Because
1: it's a tough sport. Yes. Anything to do with sports is all-consuming. Um, it's tough. It's amazing. teaches you all the life skills, I think, that anybody ever needs. <laughs> and you really do need something to refresh you and, and keep you interested and, and a little bit out of the environment. to be able to look in and go, okay, it's not all doom
0: and gloom. And that's a strategy for improving competition results. So it's not a strategy for improving competition results. And you can also have a holiday. This is a strategy for improving the competition results. So I've got to say thank you to Michelle Kelly for giving us those tips. And it's not just the tips, Shelley. It was all the extra information you put in. You didn't just sort of say, well, here's my 10 tips. I'll just rattle them off. It's you know, the broader picture, all of the information you gave us was um, absolutely brilliant and coming from someone who who did this as a profession, as their thing that they did for quite a few years, I think lots of experience there and um, I think we've just got to, yeah, thank you for that. So thank you.
1: Oh, and thank you so much. And, I mean, I, I didn't put it together just all by myself. I had amazing uh, support personnel around me in every shape or form and um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on and I hope it helps um, somebody and I do commend you again. Congratulations on your wonderful um, horse chats and learning platform. Learning is um, amazing and I'm I'm eternally grateful for what you do for us equestrian uh, <laughs>
0: population. <laughs> Thank you and hopefully we'll see you sometime again very soon.
1: Thank you very much, Glenys. And I so enjoy horse chats. I'm learning so much from all my fellow equ- equestrians.
0: Yes, yes, people that you've known for a long time, and uh, yeah, some of the questions that I ask might be a little bit, a little bit different to your general conversation with them.
1: I'm learning a lot. <laughs>
0: okay. See you, Shelley. Bye bye.
1: Thank you so much, Glenys. Thank you.
0: Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe.